This is MC Fireside Chat, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome everybody to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks, sitting outside because it's outdoor hospitality, but also with rain droplets. So if you see me run away screaming in terror, like the witch from Wizard of Oz, then the rest of these beautiful, fine, talented gentlemen will be taking over the show and making it much better than I would anyway. So they're excited to be here for a fifth week episode, kind of one of those unusual things where we don't have recurring guests planned, but we do have some special guests with us today. We've got Jason Whitting, right? Is it Whitting or Whiting? Whiting. 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 Okay. See, that was my instinct. And then I read it and I was like, no worries. The president of Penta Recreation here to share a little bit about his company, as well as some of the stock history you might delve into how he got into the business. And then Nicholas and is Courtney here, Nicholas? I saw, I felt like I saw Courtney and then she disappeared. She was, and then she disappeared. She's camera shy. Okay. All right. We'll assume that Courtney's there guiding all your answers. He's probably, <laughs> yeah. we'll just, she's the brains behind the operations. Is that fair to say? She's definitely the brains behind the operation, but I lucked out with this time. She's cleaning the cabin and some bathrooms. All right. We're excited to welcome Nicholas and Courtney, owners of the Ridge Campground. And then Scott Hubble from New Camp RV, CEO there. And it's like a little bit about his business and things like that. And then who knows where the conversation will go from there. So who wants to raise their hand and start first? People who are so brave. Got in the investing industry right away. And spent the first 20 years of my career in the stock market. Loved it. Mondays, I didn't complain about it. Didn't feel like work. And then the first 18 years were really great. And then the last two, I was just getting burnt out for a bunch of reasons. So I started thinking about what's maybe next. And I still love business. I don't have any other skills outside of business. So instead of buying tiny slices of business, stocks, maybe I'd buy an entire business. And implement some of the stuff I've learned about good businesses and running businesses for being a stock investor in my own business. And I ended up picking RV parts and campgrounds. We can get into why that was a good idea. I was hemming and hawing about leaving. And then I guess it's got lucky. They fired about a third of our division. And I was part of that. If you're ever going to do it, that's the time to do it. I had no job to cling to. About three years ago, I made the transition. I bought our first park in London, Ontario. It's a two hours west of Toronto. And a year later, all the way across the province to the east, I bought a park in Ottawa, and that's where we are right now. I'm parking in Ottawa, park in London, Ontario, and I've been doing it for three years. But that's my background and happy to dive in either why I got here or how I've been finding these sort of initial transition to running real businesses. So I think for sure I want to dive a little bit into the stock market aspect like we talked about as well as what drove you specifically from an investment perspective to RV and campgrounds. I want to come back to that though after we've had the other two people briefly talk about their businesses, right? Because I feel like that's a longer conversation that we can have that everybody may be able to join in on. But tell us specifically about your, why those two locations? How did you end up purchasing 
just assuming we get to the point later, right? How you got to campgrounds, why in those locations, what makes them special or different? Yeah. So I'm not like some, what business owners or even the bigger RV park companies, I didn't decide that we're only this. I'm only high end seasonals. I'm only going to be whatever of a family campground licensing KOAs or jelly stones. I was more agnostic as a business person. I just, I want to buy a good business at a reasonable price. And okay. I think it could be a lot of different things. One I liked about those, London's a pretty big town. It's about people, has a major university. So it's a solid town. And Ottawa is the nation's capital. Canada, obviously, huge, growing. Not just the government town, it's pretty big at the tech and stuff. And we are the second closest park to downtown London and the third closest park to downtown Ottawa. All the parks closer than us are government run. So I just think they're extremely unique locations. They're very good cities. And that's a great place to be long term. And then the other thing was the price I paid. And I can get into details why the parks were available at the price of I thought they were reasonably priced parks. Most are priced for price per acre basis with turnaround potential. That's why I had us value in more of a land site value as opposed to cash flow because they were under underinvested, under, under their full potential. So that was the opportunity. The cap rates didn't look great going in, but I thought there was lots of room to improve the parks. We're going there, fits and starts, generally going the right direction. But anyway, I can talk about more how they develop. That's the main thing was location, real estate. And I like both those parks because of the location. Everything is always fits and starts with business, isn't it? You always go in with a plan and then it always changes and adapt. You have to adapt and modify and you never get where you want to go to. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, I think Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan in the ring and punch in the face. So that's like business. Oh, I had a great plan and then whoop, the market punched me in the face. In reality, it's and you just have to roll with it. So it's been a worrying experience for sure. And I own a couple of businesses built and I've been punched in the face a couple hundred times, but I feel like if you own a business and you haven't been punched in the face and you know what that means, right? It's not the literal, like Mike Tyson, if you run a business, but if you haven't been punched in the face yet, you probably should be looking around corners because it's come. Like I feel yeah, like, no, I just, I guess the punching in the face is more the sleep the way I did. Oh, yeah. So I'm not, that's, that's what I mean. Right? Yeah. yeah. Everybody has their different version of it, but. Let's talk to you, Nicholas, real quick about the Ridge Campground. Nicholas, you want to introduce yourself to sure. your campground? And if there's wind noise in the background, somebody just tell me and I'll move my microphone. I try, I'm trying to block it. So Nick, Nicholas Denaro, Nick, I go by Nick. Me and my wife bought the Ridge Campground at the November 2021. We sold our family home and lived in our camper for a bit and found this sitting around the, well, she found it sitting around the fire. I was sleeping. And I resigned from my work. I worked for a water utility in Nova Scotia for 14 years. In my last seven, I was a supervisor of their treatment plant distribution of dams. And I got tired of what I was doing and needed a change for my mental health and my family. And so we thought selling the house with a three-year-old or two and a half year old was a good idea. And anyway, we found this place that was within our budget and we drove all in. And Again, we had lots of ideas of things we can do this bang, bang, and it's, it's a family campground, but we've got all kinds of guests here. It's a smaller campground. We have 45 three-way service sites, a bunch of unserviced sites and, and nine cabins, rustic cabins, but we're on 81 acres. The infrastructure is all good bones. It's got nice, like good infrastructure underground. So there's lots of room to grow highly high yield wells, wells. So I shouldn't need any more wells and maybe a little more treatment or tanks and stuff, but yeah, we just, we weren't bit like, don't have a business background. My wife has like an admin business kind of college degree. She works for the hospital and mine's a utility base. So I was just spending money. I'm good at it, <laughs> but 
Yeah, something different. We we love to camp and we love people and just uh, we've got the time and the energy. And uh, but we've been certainly getting punched in the face. That's for sure. The interest rates aren't helping us, but we're getting through. It's all good. And then we, again, we'll talk about what we talked about before the show, right? But we're, with a little bit about the challenges that Nova Scotia specifically space this year and a few. But it is interesting to me what you say about how you sort for the water utility company. I think, and I'd love to hear your guys, Scott, I promise we'll get to your introduction in a second. But just, it's interesting to me because you hear of, and I'm sure this happens in other industries, right? With hotels and people who own, who open up coffee shops and stuff like that. But I feel like disproportionately, we hear more about this in outdoor hospitality, campground owners, RV park owners, glamping resort owners, people who worked for X job for so long and then decided they were just going to quit that job and then go into RV parks and campgrounds. I feel like there's more people who do that than quit their jobs and go into something else midlife as a complete like 180 direction change. And I don't know if that's disproportionate because I work in the industry and probably talk to more people than anyone else. But how did you make that pivot? How did you decide? Obviously, there's probably a love for camping, right? That we hear from everybody, but yeah, why not, why not a donut shop, man? Why not a pizza place? I don't like, I like to cook food for me, but I don't know. I literally, that's all my skills is I did some boxing too, but I wasn't very good at it. But my only skills were that utility, what I know, water treatment and distribution, that sort of stuff. That's what I went to school for. So I wasn't sure what my next career was going to be. And we started looking at campgrounds and cottages while we had the house and just realized that financially it wasn't feasible. We, we needed, and the, then the Nova Scotia market, we looked at putting our house on the market and we couldn't get enough for it to really put us anywhere we needed to be. So it wasn't worth it. And then the market went foolish here. And so we said, all right, let's go. So we sold the house with no destination in mind. And we've been to Digby several times, but we, this one just happened to come up at like the day before Courtney found it on the viewpoint. And we both took the next day off work, drove down, had a look and said, yeah, let's, let's put an offer in and see what happens. It was that quick. Yeah. 20 minutes. We left here 20 minutes and we called the bank and or our agent said, put the offer in and. We'll uh, figure it out. It begs the question then, what was so special about the Ridge Campground that you were like, I need it right now? The infrastructure, property size, like all the buildings are big. I mean, everything needs work. And we found a lot of things that were hiding in the, behind the curtains. But we just, we liked the size of the lots. They were nice big lots and we contemplated kind of building our own, but the cost of the underground electrical and all that stuff, like we just, and buying the land and everything, we just didn't think that we could swing that. So it had a little bit of everything, the unserviced, the lots of woods, few cabins, a pool, big rec hall, two washroom, two big washroom buildings. So it was, and it was in our budget and it's what we wanted to do. So we, there was a couple other campgrounds we looked at and we just, we couldn't afford the down payment ourselves and we wanted to do it ourselves. So this one was within our budget. And once we saw their financials and stuff, we figured it was under promoted and under that we could do better. So that's been our driving force is to do better. And we're having, we had two good, last season was good. This season's picked up and it's good. And hopefully we got a few more and these interest rates come down. It's <laughs> easier on us, but uh, yeah, just, we're just, just, everybody thought we were crazy. <laughs> that's everybody still thinks I'm crazy. I am pretty clear, but they're probably wrong about you. But I do want to talk, maybe we could talk, throw that into the discussion about stocks later, Jason, because I feel like you would obviously agree with everybody that not researching an investment is the best way to invest. Just 20 minutes. Yeah, stuff. I was a fundamental okay. investor. That's my personality is 
days and days of researching companies and talking to competitors and management teams. That was my personality. But it's a little different because you have no control over a stock. And then you can sell it instantly. So that yeah. that's really helps. But you have no control, at least with a business you buy. You have kind you of have way more control over the yeah. yeah so the I can figure this out. If you buy a bad business with management or something, they're just going to keep screwing and screwing and you can't do much about it. With your own thing, you find a little surprise when you open up a electrical box, you can fix it. So that's the nice thing about 100% ownership over stocks, for sure. It's a fair point. Okay. I was being a little sarcastic, but that was a really serious answer. So thank you. <laughs> Scott, tell us about New Camp RV. Sure. I had a little bit in common with Jason and a little not in common. He went to school and figured out pretty quickly what he wanted to do. I went to school and figured out what I didn't want to do. So... I spent a year towards success though, right? Yeah. Failing forward is what I call it. I figured out I didn't want to be an electrical engineer after a year. Then I pivoted and just finished up with Mark, an accounting degree. And I figured out my senior year, I don't want to be an accountant either. I figured, why not law? So I went to law school and after my first year there, and I said, I don't want to be a lawyer, but I'm not going to quit a race halfway in or a third of the way in. So I started my MBA concurrently. And finish that off. MBA just came normal to me. Business was just very easy. And I thought the world would be waiting for me when I graduated. I was student body president. I had a host of degrees. I was ready to roll and it was crickets. So I just hustled and I got picked up a job, a job I probably could have had four years previous to all that education. And like Jason, after a little while into it, got a pink slip. Just said, Hey, you're overqualified. You're asking too much. There's not really a place for you here anymore. We gave you a go, but we're setting you free. And that's exactly what it was. It was them doing something I didn't necessarily have the guts to do for myself. So in that, there was a host of opportunities because then the door opened up and the market was there that I anticipated would have been there. And I, I had a variety of selections of jobs, but in the meantime, I had been working, doing some consulting on the side with a fellow friend of mine who went to the same school and stumbled over an opportunity to consult with a teardrop trailer distributor and got in there just doing 10 hours a week. And then they just kept feeding me more and uh, figured out, Hey, this is, this is a game. This is fun. I'm using all the skills that I picked up through my MBA and I'm able to execute on different levels from marketing to operations, what have you. And uh, got to the point where they said, we just need you full-time here. And so I had to choose between that job, a state job, county job, the jobs that had great benefits, good money, or this one that basically only had blue sky. And I chose the blue sky, the flexibility, the fun. And it's been great ever since after I made that selection, I started digging down a little bit deeper into who is the manufacturer, what are they doing? Cause they were doing a ton of things wrong. And, uh, you know, what? I, I met an Amish man in Sugar Creek, Ohio, and he Wait, was going all over the place. I like this. Okay. He was building some teardrops on his own. It was a very classic retro type teardrops. And, and the ones that we were focused on distributing were more modern, cheaper. And, uh, but I got to talking with him and he, it was 2008 and he was going through it. He basically just shut his doors and uh, he couldn't hack it anymore. And uh, I said, you know what? I need somebody who's innovative like you, who's got a heart quality, a heart for people. They care about the end consumer. What would you think about building everything for our operation? And he was like, Hey, I'm all for it. So 
in 2009, we made that jump together. And uh, since then we've gone from just a couple hundred teardrops a year to a few thousand every year and added some truck campers along the way. It's been a, been a blast. I haven't worked a day in the last, what is that now? 15 years, met a lot of great people along the way. And, it, and at the end of the day, this is an industry, whether it doesn't matter what part you're in, it's all about people and it's connecting in the community and just letting people live to their best abilities. And that's just really empowering, I think, for everybody here at this operation. So this is interesting to me, and I want to dive into in a second more about what New Camp RV creates and manufactures and how they're different and all those kinds of things. And I know you touched on that with the Amish quality, build quality, but I think there's a lot of different places we can go there. But first, and I would love to hear everybody's thoughts on this here. And Jason, you touched on it. To me, this is very interesting because it also is the same path I followed, generally speaking, figuring out what you, some people stumble into it like Jason did early on. Some people have to fail to figure it out, which is me. It sounds like it was Scott, not fail, but learn what doesn't, what you don't want to do, which to me is failing, but failing in a good way. And I think it's very interesting to look, to step back holistically sometimes and think about all the little things that had to go all the little ways to end up where you exactly are not working a day and you're like, cause that's me too, right? I've worked 16 to 18 hour days for the last 15 years, but I've never worked. And I feel like it's really interesting to see how we get to that path. And, and so many things, I was exploring this, I think a few months ago with my girlfriend, we were just thinking back, like I was thinking back to how, like all the little things, like one little tiny thing could have been different and I never would have been here despite my work ethic and all that, right? So any thoughts on that very broad topic of how we got where we are today? I don't know about you guys, but I planned my life when I was 18. I knew where I was going. I knew how I was marrying. I knew how I was going to graduate. I knew exactly what I'd be doing, where I'd be living, all those things. And yeah, massive for 100 on that checklist. And it couldn't be a better story for me. Yeah, so am I. I'm over 100 too. Yeah. And then just circumstances throughout your life. They reshape your perspectives. They break you. They teach you lessons. So you just, your eyes are open in a totally different way. Your ignorance is revealed to you. And then you start learning and listening to other people. And that's when you really see those opportunities. And I had to get fired, not once, I've been fired twice. And I tell people all the time, awesome stuff. I loved it. It didn't shake me the day that it happened. I wasn't grateful for it, but that took me a little bit, but I highly recommend getting fired. It can change <laughs> your life in a great way. And you're right though, that you've hit the nail on the head with the opportunities, right? Because if you hadn't gone through those things, and obviously I'm speculating from an outside perspective, so feel free to correct me, right? But if you hadn't gone through those things, then you may never have seen the opportunity with the Amish guy who was making the better quality trailer. And all that is stacks. And it's crazy how much it, it's a Jenga block of. It's not worked if you're having fun. That's what I've been finding here. And I was always working at the utility and just put, all, put everything into it to no end, no end other than a good paycheck. Worked my way up the ladder and then I was like, this ladder's not for me. That's what I went to school for, but I got to find my way off this thing. And it took me, took us a few years to figure it out. And then, then we just figured it out. <laughs> and I think maybe that's part of, we've gone full circle here a little bit where we talked about what, how do you decide the quitting of the utility company or generally whatever, right? Is it halfway through your life? Resign. I like but, the word resign. Resign. Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> but 
Yeah. It's interesting though, now that we're thinking about this in this way, maybe that's why there are more people who go into the RV park campground space because that gives them that freedom to enjoy the outdoors, to feel like, I think there's a disproportionately larger number of people. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't own a campground or RV park, right? Who sits in an office most of the day working on marketing, advertising, tech, AI, stuff like that. Right. And I love the outdoors too, but a disproportionate number of people who can blend their passion with their work. And it's an easier way, not work-wise, right? But an easier way to find something that you really truly can enjoy. Is that a fair statement, Nicholas? Or Yeah. Yeah. No, like we get to meet a lot of great folks. You know, my young fellow's going to, wasn't in pre preschool or primary preschool there for the bit for the first of last year. So I got to spend a lot of time with him, which I didn't have the option for my eight hour day. I was, I never saw him. So as impeded some of the work, but we had more fun than, and then when he was in day, daycare was what I was looking for. When he is in daycare, then I get to do some stuff and then a full-time daycare this year. So I had a lot more time to pick off some of the stuff on my list, but yeah, it's just, but when you're doing things like I pick what I want to do, right. There's things that have to get done, but it's like, I have a list of things I want to do here to make it better. And it's, it's not really work. And then every once in a while, I need a little bit of help or I bring somebody in to help me when it's outside my capabilities, but it's, you get to pick and choose what I want to do within reason. And it's, I could work all day or work for an hour or go talk to some guests or have friends come down to camp and I can hang out and chit chat. And it's just a different, it's a lifestyle, well, I, I guess, more for the work. I think it's, yeah, I think it's also important to say, we're not saying it's easy. We're saying that it's different. It's not right. really work because there are struggles still, right? There are obstacles you have to overcome. And Jason, feel free to touch on this. You've been quiet, but I feel like you can play shits interesting perspective on this. How do you see it from your side? Yeah, I, I got two thoughts. One is on the easy part. It's, I describe this like having kids, owning a business. There are moments of incredible joy. There are moments of absolute anger and frustration. But overall, it's rewarding is the word I use, right? You're built with your kids, right? You're trying to have them grow up to be functioning adults and move on. It's a rewarding process as you see them first, they start to walk and then they make, God, they make friends. All of a sudden they're bringing a girlfriend home. Very cool. But it's also incredibly frustrating. The whole way. And a business is the same way. Like you're raising a child and, and there are moments I, I just go crazy. I don't sleep. But and when you can, when you manage to step back into Canada, we're seasoned all right. We have the winters were shut down. You can get a little distance from the business. Hey, it's cool. Everything didn't go like one or two last year, but we still built something. It's gotten better. We maybe took two steps forward and went back, but we still took one forward total. We're just, I'm just building something cool. And yeah, so that, it's been a great experience. Rewarding is how I describe it. And then just about the challenges. I think you guys are all on like how you just, you seem like we all approach this way. And I like quotes. This is, I'll throw another quote out there, but problems are just opportunity and work clothes. So that's it. They're not bad or good or anything. They just, hey, here's a problem. Let's solve it. How do I not make the same mistake again? How do I get better the next time? Cool. Now when I see it, I'm stronger from it. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that in the moment. It feels really awful. Getting laid off doesn't feel good. A lot of this stuff, guest gives you a one-star review. doesn't feel good. Come out of it stronger. You're a better person from it. And that's how I've always approached all these problems. It's just like there are opportunities eventually. I think that we've made me stronger. And it sounds like you guys have had similar experience. Yeah, I think you learn, you have to learn that lesson the hard way. And nobody's saying that I'm still learning 
lessons every single day. So no one's saying I'm better or Scott's better or you're better. We're still learning those same things. We just have maybe learned them over it's 15 years for me. So I think it's an interesting perspective about the child though, because I think I agree with that too. Maybe like you go through, cause it's the beginning, it's way harder. You're one, two, three, four, when the terrible twos of the child are there and then they grow up a little bit and can actually communicate with you better. And it's a little bit easier, but still a struggle. And yeah, and then maybe you have a few years of peace before they become a teenager. It's all chaos. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. So let's, uh, Scott, tell us about, I want to give you a chance to talk about New Camp for a second before we pivot and maybe talk a little bit about stocks and get into some of Jason's expertise. Yeah. New Camp, we're the world's largest manufacturer of teardrop trailers. Again, we started in a three car garage in 2009 and slowly built out from there. 400 units, 1100 units, so on and so forth over the course of the last 14 years. I just sustained growth. I'm sure there's two or three years there where it's just flatlined, but just been blessed to sit in this niche of the industry where we just grew like crazy. And then I think some people took note and started seeing things extremely similar to us, started seeing some of the unique things that we were doing employed on other units. And you don't take that as a threat. You take it as a compliment. And then you also take it as, Hey, you can't be complacent and sit here and just keep thinking that what is, what got us here is going to keep us here. Let's level up. Let's look at some different outlets. And that's why we pivoted into the truck camper market. It was a very similar community, a tight knit community, but it doesn't matter who builds the truck camper. Jason has one and Nicholas has one and they roll in and it's two different manufacturers. They're automatically like brothers because they're truck camper guys, right? It's the same thing with teardrop owners. It doesn't matter if it's in camp or something else. They're automatically they identify with each other. And there's that cool sense of community. So we saw that opportunity. So we livened up that market. It was old and dusty and squared off for so long. And so we brought a truck camper that was very fashion forward and European design inspired, but infused with Amish cabinetry and just redefined a lot of it. And that sort of goes to our people on the outside. A lot of our designs, Euro inspired very much. Sometimes it's color, it's shape, it's, it's sourcing components. Some of our key partners that we employ are overseas in Europe. And, but on the inside of the unit, our calling card is our cabinetry. And we've got a rich furniture residence here. A lot of furniture sold indoor, outdoor, a lot of different kinds of woods are employed. So there's tons of craftsmen in the area and it's just a great opportunity. We actually have, for lack of a better term, a mill in the middle of our production facility. We've got just full service woodworking department and we, we don't chintz on the cabinets. It, they're re, it's real wood. It's just solid. It's not going to flake. It's not going to fall apart. It's not particle board. It's not any of the MDF stuff. It's just great. And it's one of those things where these individuals, when they show up, they're like, Hey, everything I touch, I might as well write my name on it. I'm proud of what I did. I'm not here just for the paycheck per se. I'm here to contribute to the community. So it's a really cool environment to be in this area. It's very sparsely populated, but they're here to just give their best and for us to all walk this road together. I came from originally Jacksonville, Florida, bounced around a little bit, and then did a lot of college in the Northeast Ohio, Akron, Canton area. This is about an hour South of that. So I came from, I think you're talking about London being a half million, probably Akron can't combined might be pushing a half million. A lot Just of to insert briefly. I was born in Akron too. So continue. oh, really? small world. Nice. 
So anyhow, coming down here was like a different world and different pace. Not that it's not hard work, but it's more appreciation for creation. What's around us, right? What can we grow out of the ground? Not just what can we consume off the shelves? So it's just like mind shift for me, but all in all, we exist to build, be exceptional. And that's from the products to the processes that we have, but most importantly to the people that are part of this team and that purchase our product. So that, that is new camp. How do you, and I'm curious, there's a larger question on this, right? But how did you in the beginning, or when did you pivot to decide that European design on the outside was the way to go? Because I feel like we're seeing a lot of this and I don't know how much you pay attention to the glamping market too, but we're seeing a lot of this and it's interesting to me, the tents and manufacturers and concepts and things that are brought over from Europe over to North America. And I'm very interested to understand if you think they're actually better, or you think it's just because they're different and the North American market hasn't seen it yet that makes it successful or both. Yeah, I'd, I'd tell you it's a little bit of both. The way that we I stumbled into it probably <laughs> is that an opportunity was presented before us. When we started building, we were doing the traditional retro nostalgic teardrops, very classic 1930s inspired. It had a little line of modern stuff, but it wasn't Euro modern. And the Operation Dutchman, they had a unit called the Tab that they had acquired the manufacturing and marketing rights to from a company called Tabert. It's one of part of one of the big RV conglomerations over there, caravan conglomerations over there. And it just, Dutchman said, Hey, it doesn't work for us. We need to be able to build at least 5,000 units. We're not able to touch that. Do you want to buy our leftover inventory, the distribution and manufacturing rights for pennies on the dollar? And we said a hundred percent. So in a sense, that design was given to us. We started running with that in 2011. And then everything from that point, we took that and the lines and the springboard off of it and started reaching out overseas and employing windows, employing hydronic heating systems. And to your question though, is it better? Is it a perception? What is it? The way that they approach camping is really totally different. It's a romantic experience. That's uh, what I was, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's what I was going to say. As you're sitting here talking, I'm thinking like, okay, glamping, but there hasn't really been a huge thing for teardrop trailers in North America, probably before you started before you brought this here. So there's a little niche market. And so I think that's the same thing we're seeing happening in glamping where they're a little bit ahead of us in teardrops and in glamping or were in teardrops and now are in glamping. And I think that's maybe why more of it coming over here for those two specific verticals. Yeah, I think there, in many aspects, Europe paces, whether it's a couple of years or five years ahead of us in certain trends, but yeah, they're far ahead of us in the RVs, honestly. But only in the small ones, right? Because there's like the, they don't have the huge class A's, as I understand it, over in Europe. They don't, there's not a whole lot of motorized or monster fifth wheels or anything just because the roads, frankly, don't accommodate it. It's not their lifestyle. It's not what they're looking to do. They don't even have AC in most of these things over there. But with that said, the fit, the finish, we think we do a pretty good job. You go and see it fit and finish at the Dusseldorf show of a similar unit, your jaw hits the floor. They just do a fantastic job. Maybe I can jump in because I, I think there's your volume show this, Scott. I think there's tons of room for innovation in the North American market. We Anecdotally, you see our parks and RVs come in, it's boxed. And then the Airstream come in, comes in, 
people just all stare and look at it. People are talking about it. And then you see the resale values for Airstream. I think from the 70s, trading at $40,000, $50,000, obviously restored and stuff. And that's just one that's a niche example, Airstream. Tremendously successful, but I just think there's so much more room for innovation and design and amenities, features and all that in the market. Everything's just similar. Obviously, I think you're seeing that with your unit volume, you're onto it, but I would think there's great opportunities still for that. I think that's for everything, right? So like you're talking about the rigs, but we're talking about from my perspective, right? I look at it from a marketing advertising perspective. Nicholas, when he acquired his park, looked at it from, a, I think I can do better than what I'm purchasing it for, obviously, or he wouldn't have bought it. But I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in our industry as a whole in probably the world, but my experience is more North America, so I'm going to stay in my lane. I think there's a lot of good things out there. There's a lot of people who are innovating, but I think that the pace of innovation or perhaps maybe the number of people who are innovating for whatever reason, is just lower than the hotel industry. And so I think you're right. You've hit maybe the nail on the head with everything, right? Is there's so much opportunity for growth here and we just need a few more leaders to lead us down that. Is that fair? It, I know it's fair. And if you look at the, the composition of the RV market, you've got two and you could say three very large entities. And they've got a proven process and it's worked for them for years. So why do you pivot away from a formula that has continued? Or don't, but there's room for other people to, right? Correct. But so I sit in a sliver that's approximately 7%. It's the 7% of the market where, hey, we can innovate all day long, but how much are we influencing the rest? to make some of those moves. And we have seen, and I'm not saying that it was us because these guys have eyes, they follow the, the numbers, they go to the international shows and they see what people really have the appetite for. It's not the rectangle on wheels that the floor rots out after four years because it's a wooden floor. They, they want something that's a little more appealing. You talked about glamping, the home remodel thing. It's all big, it's the tiny houses. They wanna bring all that into a modern day caravan RV, but with the quality. Do you feel like, and again, this is not an insult or a criticism of anybody who's existing as an RV manufacturer, right? But also it's a transition for me too. So do you feel like that some of that hesitancy to adopt a more niche market that is unproven or unknown versus what they've been doing, like we talked about all these number of years is perhaps directly related in some cases to the fact that they have investors and they're in the stock market and they need to prove themselves and need to have certain margins. Yeah. I, I move slower. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, this is classic. This is innovators dilemma. It was a famous book. Maybe where like I did that pivot though. Didn't you? Yeah. yeah it worked beautifully. Yeah. And that worked well. It just, it's almost impossible. And Malcolm Gladwell wrote about it. David versus Goliath. It's just very hard for the incumbents to change. They're just, they got big for a reason. They were very successful doing something and they got huge doing it. So why change? We're geniuses, we're a huge market cap, we make big salaries as executives. It's very difficult. Almost no time in history. Look at all the automakers, GM, Toyota. These are massive, successful companies, huge market shares. And Tesla's the one that's dropped the DBs. An absolute startup and one of the most capital intensive businesses in the world. So I just, if those guys can't do it, and think about the RV manufacturers, right? There's just three of them. That, I know why they're all in Elkhart, Indiana. There's lots of economies of scale and stuff. But it's also a group thing. A bunch of guys all in the same area with all their suppliers located in the same area. 
there's nothing, no one's coming up with anything new when you're in that kind of bubble and cocoon with that kind of success. So it has to be outsiders are going to innovate. And that, maybe these guys will follow eventually when, you know, the numbers hit them in the head. They're like, oh my goodness, the teardrop markets become much bigger. It's going faster or, or what have you. But they're just, they're not set up at all to be successful in any kind of new innovation or very rarely. Well, I think this is a whole larger, this is very interesting to me and maybe timely too, because I was watching, I don't know if you guys know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, I was watching, sometimes I'll jabble in a little bit of his content here and there, but one of the things I was watching, one of his keynotes that he gave yesterday, he's a big marketing advertising guy, right? Best-selling author, stuff like that. But he was giving a keynote, he's talking about brand safety and how everybody wants to be safe and appeal to everybody and doesn't want to shake up the norm and exactly what we're talking about, right? As far as niche stuff goes and pivoting and adapting and innovating like Tesla disrupted and everything else. But one of the things he brought up was Toyota and like their slogan, let's go places. What does that mean? What do you do with that? Because it's literally, it's such a generic slogan that it doesn't, what does it bring to the brand other than safety? And so I think that lends to what you're talking about. Again, not criticizing Toyota because again, they've been very successful, but just the ability to innovate maybe just can't be there unless they get, look at Zuckerberg copying everybody else, right? And that's a slogan that feels like it came from a committee. And you just get right. something watered down with a bunch of people that, you know, we had something, it generally tends to be individuals come up with ideas or small groups. God, I think you should use let's go other places for your slogan. That would be safe. I go where I'm towed to. Right. Yeah. But go ahead, Scott, please. I didn't interrupt you. Just continue. It was just interesting to me to think about that as we were. Where was I leaving off? I meant, I'm sorry. I meant Jason. I apologize. Oh, okay. Sorry, just back on the stock market thing you mean, or yeah. So like it just in and in general, like, I guess that's another flaw. Public companies are there's advantages to it for sure. We can talk about that. There's incredible disadvantages. The incentives are set up to be incredibly short term focused. I think the average CEO of a Fortune 500 company lasts two years. They have to report results every three months, and your stock can move twenty percent. It's a bad quarter. That's an insane way to run a business where you can make my numbers for three months. I'm, and I'm worried about my job because it might last two years. And so just in, so all I'm going to do is, does it make sense? There's a famous study that the CFOs, chief financial officers of big companies. Would you rather invest in a very high return on investment project? I think the number is 50% project, which everybody in my head to go, that's a no brainer, do it. Would you rather invest in that project or miss your quarter by one penny per share? And it was something like 80% of the guests would defer those projects to make their quarter. It's insane. So how can you possibly innovate on something that might not make you revenue today when the stock market will just punish you for spending money today with no revenue? So you just lower costs, do what we always did, don't take any chances, and just instead of trying to make it for two years as a CEO, oh, I can make four years at the average salary of a CEO. Those two extra years are worth a ton of money. So there's just all these incentive structures, public companies that are so flawed, counterproductive to long-term growth, innovation, and health of companies. And that's, so that's a huge disadvantage of being a public company. Briefly, for the people who listen here, who aren't day traders, stock traders, who don't play in the market, who don't know how all that thing, all those things work. Briefly, like, why is there such a push for companies to go public? Is it entirely capital driven? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the major advantage. I think there's, I think there's three advantages that I would bring to the RV park industry. If someone can grow up into, or there's two, sorry, 
originally. And then the third one that I thought was relevant was cost of capital. How cheap can you raise money? When I got into the industry, I had no background running a company. I was, again, I was a stock market investor, no business ownership experience. We took out both half finance and half with my own money equity. And the ranks I got were terrible. It was like, you were like, you compare it to a public stock, it was called junk rate corporate credit. That's how bad my spreads were over what the government are. I was considered a borderline bankrupt sort of company with what I had to pay. But I think you, I got to establish a track record. You build your record up, you can put it in the bank. The next time you renew your loan, hope we get better rates. So again, being public, and their cost of capital, what they could raise debt at, what they could go sell stock in the market. I, I got to go raise money from sell my money at one small equity partner or from other people will be way higher than they do. So when they're bidding on a park, they can just pay a much higher price than I do. Their cost of money is a lot cheaper than mine. Netflix is a huge advantage. And there's also a liquidity advantage, right? My net worth is all tied up in something that's very hard to trade. If they put it on the market with a broker that charges you a huge commission and all of this stuff, why ever want to get out of the RV park industry, a stock you can just I have a lot of my money tied up in a stock, you can sell it in on eTrade or any platform like that. So again, a number of advantages to be public. It's not all bad. There's reasons they do it that are super So I think we, we can spend maybe a few minutes here talking to Nicholas and Scott about the same thing from a diverse industry perspective, right? And don't you don't have to share what you don't want to, right, Nicholas? Of course, or anybody. But like how do you decide loan, not loan, savings, not savings, where to get your funding, how to buy, when to buy, what to buy, what your budget is, right? Those kinds of things. What goes into that from your mind, Nicholas? We had to take a, we took a federal loan, just like a small business federal loan. We had our, I forget what the percentage was for our down payment. That was personal out of our savings to put into the business. And that's a own company or whatever, but uh, yeah, we had to borrow just to make it happen. It's a big number for us, but we felt it was worth it. Just, we can always sell the place <laughs> the for sale signs. The next sign that goes up, I always joke, but they, but no, we had to do it. So we were, we felt it was worth the risk. And then the, it's a variable rate on our mortgage or which we were advised to do, which now we know we will never do, but it, it was fine when it started, but now however many months later and the way the interest rates are going, it's all big number every month, but especially in the winter when we're shut down, like that hurts. So like we floated this place out of our own pocket in November after we purchased it. And then once we got in, we're like, oh yeah, there's no revenues. This is all coming out of our pockets. Okay. We're all right. We're all right. We'll get it back. But one day we'll get it back. But it was a risk versus reward. And I think the risk is worth what we're into now. Is that the risk certainly worth what we're into now. Just we're building our own brand. We rebrand it and just trying to get different markets and different guests, travelers in different areas, figuring out how to reach like full, like European travelers. Like we get some, but we're not really sure how to market ourselves to, to attract them when they're coming over on the ferry or like they bring their European vans over and stuff. We're trying to hit that this winter on our off season and see how we can figure out how to get a few Call more travelers here. All you? Yeah. That's what I do for a living is marketing every day. Okay. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about pay me, like literally just call me and we'll talk. All right. But, cool. Um, I want to briefly go maybe into some of those risks if we have time at the end, but Scott to your, right. how did you decide? Yeah. Right. Hey, early on, we were just the building one would sell one to build another one. Right. So there, there wasn't actually, Hey, let's 
go secure a quarter million dollars, a half million dollars, whatever it is, and let's build this thing up and out. Joe had a small facility. He had the tools to work with. He had a network of individuals that we could reach out to. So we didn't have to make a ton of investments. Obviously it was basically just get some parts in. So we just, and he was extremely risk averse with respect to debt because he had just fallen on his face. So anyway, we just sort of did one by one as things grew, obviously we're dealing with floor plans from manufacturers. We're securing line of credit from the bank. Today, I've got a leadership team. We sort of huddle up. We say, Hey, what do we want to do? How do we want to make these expenditures? How do we want to invest? But one thing that we do is we don't necessarily, and it might sound a little foolish at times, but when we're developing a product or a service, we're going to estimate what our investment's going to be, right? But we're not going to say, you know what, this unit's going to cost X and then go into it. What we say is, Hey, we want to deliver this product, which is X, Y, Z. And whatever that ends up being, that ends up being. Now, obviously there's a cap to that, right? You can price yourself out of a market, but we've positioned ourselves. Nicholas talked about rebranding himself. Like we branded ourselves. Hey. Highest quality RV, we're in the space. If you look at teardrops, you're going to pay a pretty penny for our stuff. And the reason is that we're going to put some really good stuff in it. We're not going to, we're not going to chintz. We're not going to spare any expense on doing that. So that's how we approached, Hey, what's the investment going to be? Hey, let's look at the product. What does the market want? What does the market bear? We'll do that and work our way back into it. It's, yeah, it's interesting how we all get here in our own different paths, right? Like for me, like I never took a loan. I never got an investment. It was all credit card for me, right? That was all right. And obviously in hindsight, I started this in 2009. I was young, not old like I am now. But in hindsight, probably could have found a better way to not pay 22% interest on credit card rewards and all that kind of stuff. Reason to call him. And oh. so... But that works. Works. hard attack hearing you put it on a credit card. It's a finance guy. Sorry. No, I know. <laughs> again, but you, but when you're early in business, again, just everybody else here, right? You don't know what you don't know. And I honestly like, and again, I wasn't carrying debt for years or anything. And, and there was a, a method behind the mythology. Like I was getting rewards for it and stuff like that, that I thought, well, it did make up for me. But anyway, so yeah, you learn what you learn. But either way, like I came out and I'm happy and I don't have any debt. And so it is what it is, right? But yeah, we all have our own unique ways that we get there. And it's interesting how we inform those decisions. But briefly, let's talk about risks with Nicholas, and then we'll wrap up the show. And so Nicholas, we talked about this before the show a little bit, but Nova Scotia particularly was hard hit this year with some natural disasters, fires, flooding on the one side of the island, right? And I admittedly have not looked at where your campground is on a map, on a pin. So I don't know how you were impacted by that, but I'd love to hear how you were or weren't, and then how you overcome the challenges and how you see the path forward, because that's big part of business is risk managing that. We got really lucky here. We had a very little bit of rain when everybody got hit hard. So we're up quite high on the ridge here, but Digby County didn't really get much rain that with those storms, but like Lunenburg County, Shell, Queens County and Halifax, they all got it, but we missed it. But, and the fires, and we didn't have any of those fires here. We got some smoke that came from Shelburne way, but we were very lucky. There's a lot of perks, a few perks that lost their perks in Nova Scotia. Yeah, we got lucky with that one. So how do you, as a business owner, look at that? Obviously it impacted tourism to Nova Scotia, right? If you read on the, like we've had 
dealt with this with clients who recently out press releases after hurricanes when the, the media is saying that everything is destroyed and you're looking at your bark and here's a tree branch down, right? Yeah. You have to get that word out. So how do you deal with that? From a, obviously you were blessed that you didn't get touched by the buyers of the floods, but how do you deal with that from a, look, I'm open and I'm here, message uh, perspective. We put a note out that for folks that were affected by the fire, if they were evacuated, that we would open to them and no, no charge and trying to get somewhere, some folks, some place to go. We're a little bit out of the way here, but the offer was out there, but we had cancellations and what's we last minute and try not to, anyway, we get a lot of phone calls on that stuff and it, it certainly didn't help our slow season, but uh, there's worse things in the world to worry about other problems out there. So how do you guys just maybe close it with a minute each year or something like that? Talk about like how you manage risk in your own business. And I think Nicholas talked about it already, but Jason and Scott. Sure. I guess you don't want to make your business so fragile that there's a sneeze, you get pneumonia during the hospital. I guess don't over, not, don't do anything full tilt. If I'm a bit of a sort of all-in guy, this is a great idea. Let's do it all now. Let's do these five things at once. And I, I think I was probably too aggressive when I started in the business, trying to do too much at once. You don't want to have your cash flow in zero one year because you're investing in different projects. You don't want the maximum amount of debt in case your results go down. Then all of a sudden, oh my God, I can't support it. Whereas Nick's talked about the pain of interest rate rises, right? You you were loaded to the hilt. I took less debt than I could have. It hurts like crazy, the rise in rates, but it doesn't kill us. And so you just, you don't, you don't want to run the park with two employees because you want a little bit of back up there. If someone quits, you got some room to absorb. Just make your business anti-fragile. It's a, my idea, anti-fragile. But anyway, it's just, you just want to have some redundancies back up, not make it the riskiest possible so you can survive all the unexpected. You can take those punches. Just go back to where we started and not get knocked out. So that's my philosophy on it. Yeah. Hey, I'm not as smart as Jason. But uh, when you start and you're small, Where you look at all the law books in your desk, man. You got to be smart. Uh, I have one undergraduate degree. Yeah, I think you sell yourself they, short. They're props. Anyhow, look, when you're starting small, you got ideas, you got a vision, you got passion, you want to do everything. Everything's urgent. And that was me. Everything was always urgent. Sometimes you just run and then you, and you figure it out as you're running, right? But as you're scaling your business up, you can't keep doing that. You've got to have those right infrastructure pieces in place. And for us, that's people for me. I have, I'm blessed to work with three women that are so process driven that they create these guardrails for us not to fail, not to fall out. And cause the process has to be right now. That doesn't mean that we're not trying to find that balance between urgency and uh, walking wisely and certainly not being risk adverse. I love risk. I like to just throw my hat in and say, Hey, let's see if we can do this. But sometimes you just can't pull it off and you have to listen to your teams there to help you. Yeah. I started listening to Courtney this year, last year is the same. I was just like, we got to do this. We got to do this. And because you have to I'm fail just... to succeed first, right? Yeah. <laughs> you. And at the end of yeah, at the end of the years. You were right. Yeah. I shouldn't have spent all that money to try and do this and this, but we're learning it. So this year it's a dial back a little bit and do some things we have to do and not do everything I want to do or we want to do and just stay one foot after the other. And sometimes, like you said earlier, we take one back. But, this is interesting. Uh, yeah. This is an interesting problem for me because I'm full tilt. I'm the all in, like not with the money and spending all that stuff. Right. But with the, I want to innovate and move super fast. This is what we, like, I had no idea 
zero idea on November 29th of, next, of last year that this entire company was going to pivot and focus on AI. Like I knew that AI was coming because we had been playing with it since 2020 and I knew that moment was there, but I had no idea that was going to be tomorrow, November 30th. And so since January 1st, right? Like we've grown from, I had 12 people to 26 people now, and it's all driven by AI, which everybody will tell you is going to replace jobs, not for us, but right. And so it's very like, I, but I'm all in on that. Like, I'm not going half in. We've built custom chatbots. We've built like, and everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. And you'll hear that from a lot. Like you're crazy to put the Amish cabinets in there. It's going to weigh it down too much or whatever they said to you. Scott. Sure. Lost too much. And so, yeah, that stuff definitely resonates with me and I hear that, but all right. Thank you guys for joining us. I appreciate it. I think it was a fairly good episode, right? We turned that into something. Definitely. I didn't contribute, but you guys did. So hopefully you had fun. I appreciate you all being here. Nicholas, do you want to tell them where they can learn more about your campground? Sure. Yeah. We've got Facebook, the Ridge Campground, Instagram, the Ridge Campground, Digby, and I got a little YouTube channel too, the Ridge Campground, but it was great being a guest. Thanks for having me on. And it was nice to meet all you folks. Appreciate you, Nicholas. Scott, where can they find out about New Camp? Yeah, it's newcamprv.com and it's newcampnucamprv.com. And uh, yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Nice chatting with you, Nicholas, Jason, Brian. And then Jason, where can they find out about your two parks and anything yep. else you've been going on? Yep. Uh, so the holding company is Pentor Recreation, but our two parks, if you want to stay with us, are camperscornerlondon.com. And rollinghillsottawa.com. So that's if you want to stay with us. And uh, Ottawa's going year-round this year. So if you want to see a Canadian winter in our trailer, give us a call. But yeah, thanks for having the opportunity to come on. It was a yeah, great time. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And next week, we are off. We are, for I think, for the first time in a year and a half, not having a show because I'm going on vacation. There's nobody, apparently, who wants to host it. We'll see you guys in two weeks on another episode of FC Fireside Chats. Thanks for joining us. Take care, guys. Take care. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality. I know I'm